Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 9. You're ready. This is good stuff, y'all. Go up, go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out, uh, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. 
but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are the everlasting God. And we pray that you would guide us and give us all wisdom as we plunge to the depths of this text. It's for your name we pray. Amen. Some of you don't have children, and so you haven't used your children as an excuse to see one of the best places in Washington, D.C., which is the National Zoo. And one of, the, one of my favorite parts of the National Zoo is the big cats, because they're awesome, the lions and the tigers. And, and right across from the big cat exhibit at the National Zoo is a much smaller exhibit filled with prairie dogs. And it's, it's kind of funny to see the tigers right next to the prairie dogs. The prairie dogs are fenced in with a wall that's about three feet high. If you wanted to, you could reach in and grab a prairie dog and take it home as a souvenir. I don't recommend. The zoo probably wouldn't be happy with that. Whereas the tigers, they're surrounded by a wall that's not three feet tall. It's about 30 feet tall. And even, even on the other side of that wall is a moat. I don't know how deep it is. It's deep enough for a tiger to swim in. And so there's a lot of separation between the visitors to the zoo and the tigers. And there's a, there's a lot less separation between the visitors to the zoo and the prairie dogs. And that's because we know that tigers and prairie dogs are very different kinds of animals. Prairie dogs are nice and cute, and they really couldn't hurt you. Tigers are ferocious, and they're dangerous. And so we need to have a right fear of them. And in the same way, our God is mighty and strong, and yes, even ferocious. We should not approach him with a cavalier attitude like he's just some little prairie dog. We should approach him with a right fear because he is mighty and powerful. Far more mighty and dangerous and wonderful and majestic than the tigers in the zoo. We need to cultivate a right fear in God. Because it's only when we see God in his greatness that we could ever begin to truly comprehend the wonder and the scandal of his love. I call it a scandal because it doesn't make sense to us that this infinite, everlasting God would condescend, take on flesh, dwell among us, and the only one who was not worthy of punishment receive punishment on our behalf. It's wonderful good news, friends. There's nothing better than that. And the only way to truly know and see and savor that news is to understand the greatness of our God. So I want you to do two things today. I want you to marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God. I want you to marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God. And so we'll walk through Isaiah chapter 40 today in four sections. We'll see God's incomparable love, God's incomparable wisdom, God's incomparable power, and God's incomparable grace. May God 
help us. So first, God's incomparable love. Isaiah 40 paints a picture for us of a God who cares for his people better than anyone else could, more consistently than anyone else would. God's incomparable love. Go up on a high mountain, the, the, chapter, the passage begins. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. So this is God commissioning his people to act as a herald, to act as a royal ambassador, to bring a message of good news to the people, to the nations, to the whole earth. And what is the content of that good news? Say to the cities of Judah, behold... Your God. What's the content of this good news? It's God himself. It's just God himself. God himself is good news. The fact that there could even be a God, this great and wonderful and mighty and glorious and loving, is good news in and of itself. Verse 10, Behold, the Lord comes with might. He has power and his arm rules for him. The arm of the Lord is an image throughout this book, the prophecy of Isaiah. It's an image that Isaiah leans on frequently to talk about God's saving power. It's like an image of God reaching out to save his people or God reaching down into the depths of sin and misery and suffering and pulling them out with his strong arm. God has a strong arm and he uses it to reach down and pull up his people. See, a few chapters later in Isaiah 52, the same idea comes up. Isaiah 52.10, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. God is, he comes with might and his arm rules for him. He has limitless power and he uses it to save rebels. Behold, the verse continues, Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Reward, recompense, these, these are words referred to, referring to wages, or, or reward, or, or, or a right uh, payment for a service offered. And so God is coming with a reward. God is coming with, with something to bless his people. And it's important to remember that God gives these rewards not out of his debt to us, as if, oh, they've done good enough work, I, I ought to reward them, I ought to bless them. No, God blesses his people not out of any debt to us, but out of his grace. This isn't God paying worthy servants, it's God's goodness overflowing on those who are overlooked in this life. Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Just hear the tenderness in this verse, friends. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Friend, God tends his flock. Tending a flock means bringing them out to the pasture, bringing them to food, providing for them. And God provides for his people with a consistency and a care and a tenderness that could never compare to anyone else. You might look to other people to help you and to sustain you and give you meaning and fulfillment in this life, and no one can do it like the Lord can. God tends his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lamb in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom. They're close to him. There's an intimacy that God has with his people. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So imagine there's this God who's infinite in might. His arm rules for him. He is massive and incomparable in wonder, and he's walking around carrying a little baby lamb. There's a contrast painted for us there. He carries his people in his bosom close. He's gentle, friends. He's gentle. So if you're feeling weak, tired, worn out, like you're on your last rope, or like you ought to be on your last chance, God sees you with an intimate, gentle care. And he holds you like a little lamb. This God, this God does that. God sees whatever your plight, he sees and he cares and he is not demanding. God is not standing on the sidelines of your life saying, come on, I can't believe it, get your act together. That's not God's attitude to you. Even though we ought to be out of chances, that's still not God's attitude. It's still not God's disposition to you, even though it very well might should be. But God is never out of mercy. Even though we ought to be out of chances, God is never out of mercy. So friends, marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God. He is great enough to save. He comes with might and his arm rules for him. He is great enough to save and he is kind enough to save. He's not just sitting here with a life preserver saying, Oh man, you're drowning. That, that stinks. I wish somebody would help you. Maybe you should figure out how to swim. God is throwing himself into the pool of your sin and misery and death to save you, friends, to pull you out. He is merciful and mighty and gracious. And friends, he is not stingy with this power. He is kind. So many of us believe that God, that God is looking at our life with some stinginess and saying like, oh, well, you know, they, they did all right on Tuesday, kind of messed up on Wednesday. So I'm not sure if I can bless them today. Friends, you cannot earn God's blessing, and you don't have to. He is not stingy. He is kind. Believe that, friends. So, friends, you are weak, and you need a shepherd. So those of you who here today who aren't Christians, what would stop you from running into such a loving, mighty arm? Come to him. You can't go through this life alone, let alone eternity. So come to the Lord Jesus. Find life. And Christians, rest here remembering that you didn't earn your way into God's arms and you cannot lose your way out. You do not have to earn your stay every day. God is not coming tomorrow to collect rent. He's coming tomorrow to give grace. And the next day, and the next day, God's love is incomparable, friends. Number two, God's incomparable wisdom. God knows all things. And he showed this wisdom by the way he created and rules everything that we could ever see. Verse 12, who has measured 
the waters in the hollow of his hands, the hollow, the little indentation in the middle of your palm. Isaiah's saying it's like God could just hold all, you know, you could put a drop of water there, it wouldn't spill immediately. God could hold all the waters of the ocean on the earth, just a little, little drop in his hand. And he marked off the heavens with a span. A span is the distance if you stretched out your hand from the tip of your thumb to the tip of your pinky. And, and we, look, we look at images. We look at the James Webb telescope. We look at the Hubble. And we say, that's astounding. That's incredible. Some people even think the universe is getting bigger. And God just looks at it and he says, oh, it's all right. It's okay. He just can measure it with a span. And maybe, maybe the universe is expanding. Is it ever going to outgrow God's hand? No, because he doesn't even have a hand. These images are not to describe God's physical body because the Bible's very clear. God as a spirit doesn't have a body. It's not describing God's body. It's describing God's greatness. It's painting a picture for us that he is bigger and more astounding than anything else that you could ever see or imagine or touch in this life. Everything is insignificant compared to him. He keeps going. Verse 12, he has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. And notice it's a question. So he's saying, who's done that? Show of hands, who's done that? Who could hold the oceans in the hollow of your hands? Who could pick up all the mountains and plop them on a scale? Show of hands, no one didn't think so. It's just the Lord. He's incomparable, friends. God created and he owns everything. And all of creation is small and insignificant enough for God to just pick it up and plop it on a scale. I have friends who are really big coffee snobs. And they're usually like larger men and they pick up these little beans and then they like put them on a scale one at a time and they have to get like the perfect number of grams. Looking at you, Pastor Chad. And, and it's kind of it's kind of silly to think about like a big guy like picking up one bean, like putting it on the scale. God can pick up all of creation even more easily than you could pick up a bean. He's that wonderful. He's that astounding. And so while creation is small and measurable, the creator stands immeasurable. He's incomparable. I could, I could look at the ocean and say, wow, well, look at the strength of our God. It doesn't even come close to depicting the wonder and might and power of our God. So he goes on. He's described the smallness of creation. Now he describes the largeness of God. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? I'll give you the answer to this pop quiz. It's no one. No one has measured the spirit of the Lord. No man shows him counsel. Verse 14, whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who's God's guide? Who's God's mentor? Show of hands. No one. Oh, that's what I thought Isaiah says. Who taught him? Who taught God the path of justice? Who taught God right from wrong? No one. And who taught him knowledge? Who taught God the ways of the world? No one. And showed him the way of understanding. Who taught God how to rightly think about everything? No one. 
He is the Lord. He is immeasurable. He's immeasurable in greatness. He's immeasurable in love. And he's immeasurable in wisdom. He can never be measured. He can never be fully known. He is infinite. And that infinity is shown here in his infinite wisdom. That no one could give him advice. No one could ever teach him anything. He knows all things supremely better than anyone. He knows all things thoroughly. And he knows all things intuitively. He didn't have to learn them. Knowledge is who he is. It doesn't even come to, it doesn't even comprehend in our minds. Because everything that we know, we've learned. Even how to eat and walk and, and think and talk, we've learned all of those things. There was no process for God. It's not like God is a better version of ourselves and he just learned these things a long time ago and he's been thinking about them for longer than you have. No, he's in a completely different category. He's never learned anything. No one has ever taught him and no one ever could. So friends, marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God. He is the uncreated one. Why has no one measured the spirit of the Lord? Because no one ever had to plan how to create him. Because he alone stands uncreated. Everything else is created except for our God. If you put everything in the universe in two categories, uncreated things and created things, the uncreated things, there's one who stands there, and his name is the Lord Almighty, the everlasting God. And everything that's in that created category, God is responsible for it. God is the creator. John chapter 1 verse 3 puts it this way, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The prerequisite for being made is being made by God. He is the uncreated one and he's also the unteachable one. Now typically being unteachable is a really bad trait because we all have a lot to learn, right? And so if I, if I were to say to you, man, I've been meeting with this guy, but he's really unteachable. I'm probably going to stop meeting with him. You would think really poorly of that guy. But God is unteachable, not because he is prideful, but because he is perfect. There's nothing that he could learn. There's nothing that you could add to him. There is no room for improvement in God. There is no knowledge that he can acquire. There is no skill that he can learn. There is no optimization that he could give to his life to improve a, a little bit. He is perfect. He's incomparable in wisdom. The point here, he is the creator of everything. He has the wisdom to rule over creation. He knows how it works best. He created it. He could look at it all in the hollow of his hands. You can trust God's wisdom to know how his creation works best. He has the wisdom to rule over creation. And friends, he also has the right to rule over creation. All of creation belongs to him because he's its creator. You belong to him because he is your creator. God has the right to determine your life. So we must bow and submit and leave everything on the table before him. Friends, you don't know better than God. So if there's something in your word that causes you to wrinkle your nose, you're not, you're not the one who's in the right. 
God's not the one who's in the wrong. You're in the wrong. Because God's immeasurable in wisdom, incomparable in wisdom. We have to know his word. Where he reveals this wisdom to us. And we have to trust his word. Some of you, some of you here today are not Christians. And what's stopping you is your love for sin. And you believe, yeah, God seems all right. But is he better than all the things that I'll have to leave behind to follow him? Yes. And how can you trust that? Because he's immeasurable in wisdom. You really can trust him. So Christians, that sin that's held onto your heart for so long, it doesn't need to hold on to you anymore. You can let it go. You can let go of sexual morality and pornography and lust and lying and stealing and dishonesty. Whatever it is in your life, you can let it go. I promise you. Because God's wiser than we are. He will lead you to true and lasting life. You can't trust anybody else to do that. We, we love to learn things and to improve our lives. And we read books about it. And we, we study productivity. And we follow productivity gurus. And we, we read tutorials online about how to make our lives a little bit better and a little bit easier. And that's great. But first, friends, let's run to God's word for wisdom. Early in ministry, I had someone tell me, it was at a, a Q&A, somebody asked him, what should you... What, what advice would you give to young ministers? And he said, get in the word, get deep in the word, stay in the word, and devote yourselves to prayer. Friends, let's make that the mantra of our lives because our God is, has an incomparable wisdom. So get in his word. God's incomparable love, incomparable wisdom, and incomparable power. God's might is infinite. And what that means, friends, is that there is no purpose that he sets out to accomplish that will not be fulfilled. Some of you like to play board games. I like to play board games. Sometimes in a board game, you make a plan. You're going to build your roads all around Catan, and then somebody blocks you. And you're, oh man, your plot is foiled. And then you have to spend the next two hours just twiddling your thumbs because you've been blocked. You've been stopped. Your purposes have been thwarted. Never with God. He is never short on resources. He is never short on power. He is never short on energy. He is never short on commitment. His might is infinite. He will always accomplish his purposes, and that means there is no enemy or obstacle that could ever hold a candle to his power. There is no political or military power that could compare to our God's might. Verse 15, that's where, that's where Isaiah goes first. Verse 15, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Imagine you're carrying a bucket of water, and somebody takes a little eyedropper, and they squeeze out one drop, and then they stick the rest back in the bucket. Virtually no difference to you. That's what the nations are like to God. They're so tiny, they're like a little tiny drop from a bucket. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. There's dust on your scales, and it still says 0.00 grams when you're weighing your little coffee beans. They're nothing. 
Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Typically in the Bible, when you read about coastlands or about the ends of the earth, later in this passage, that's just an image for like the whole earth. It's like bookends. He's saying, I'm going to grab the bookends and everything in between. So he takes up the coastland like fine dust. You ever, you ever get to a piece of furniture you haven't been to in a while and you kind of just sweep your hand across it and dust is everywhere? That's what God is like in the nations. And that's not to say that the nations or the people inside of them are insignificant. It's to show that they are small and as nothing compared to our God. Great value as image bearers of God, but small, insignificant strength compared to the might of God. Verse 16, Lebanon large nation near Israel, they all would have been familiar with it, and they specifically would have been familiar with the finest cedar forest of Lebanon. Lebanon was famous for the cedar forest. Stunning, world-renowned, beautiful forest. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are all its beasts enough for a burnt offering. Chop down every one of those mighty cedar trees in Lebanon, It's not enough to bring an acceptable offering to God. Slaughter every cow in Lebanon and every lamb and every goat and every ram and bring them to God as an offering. It's not enough because God is incomparable and there is nothing that we could offer him that would begin to be enough. Friends, God accepts your worship, not because you're good enough, not because you're worthy. God accepts your worship out of pure grace. There is nothing that he needs from you. Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness Remember the context of the book of Isaiah. World empires were looming large over Israel at this point in their history. The Assyrian and Babylonian empires were conquering most of the known world, and Israel was, they had set their sights on. They had set their sights on Israel. The nations were much greatly to be feared in Israel's time in this history as Isaiah is speaking to them. And he just says, oh, those nations, like a little bit of dust on the scales. Nothing. It's nothing before our God. It's like imagine you were in the third grade and there was a guy picking on you. And one day your dad comes to pick you up from school and he says, do we have a problem here? That bully is like nothing compared to your dad. And the nations are like nothing compared to our God. He is infinite. We are finite. And that's why we could never earn our way into his favor. Like what on earth could we bring to him, this infinite God? When we're just little people. Like, oh, here, God, I brought you, I brought you one quarter of a dust speck. Of course we can't earn our way into God's favor. Friends, the the horrendously scary news is that you cannot impress God. 
But the good news is you don't have to. Because you are accepted through faith in Christ alone. And that's why it's so urgent for those of you that don't know Christ to come to know him. Because there's no other reason that God should accept you or could accept you. Friends, there is no political or military power that can compare to our God. And there is no spiritual power that could compare. Yeah, God is great, but all religions are basically the same, right? Wrong. Verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? It's another question. And this time, Isaiah is going to give a hypothetical answer. An idol? What could compare to God? Well, well, there's these other gods. Babylon has gods. The Canaanites have gods. The Canaanites have idols. Maybe they compare to God. That's the hypothesis. Let's test it and see how it works out. Verse 19. An idol. A craftsman casts it. So right out of the gate, idols are insignificant to God. This passage has taken pains to demonstrate that God is the uncreated one. And that everything else is created and idols are no different. And they've been created by people who have been created by God. A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. Gold, pretty impressive, right? Silver chains, pretty impressive, right? The, the worst thing that could ever happen to an idol in this culture is falling down. That was an image of complete and total defeat. So on military campaigns... People would, people would ride into camps and they would find the idols and just knock them down. Be like, ha, that's what I think about your God. You see a picture of that in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 5. A falling idol is an image of complete defeat. Saying that God is inferior to our God. And so why do you have silver chains around your idol? It's a tether. It's to stop them from falling down. Verse 20, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. Can't afford gold? That's all right. We can give you a B-minus idol. Just make sure you get some good wood. You can't have it rotting. He seeks out a skillful craftsman and sets up an idol that will not move. You need strong wood to hold up this idol so that it doesn't fall down. Do you see the foolishness here, friends? Idols can't compare to our God because idols can't save you. You have to save them. And so we say, ha, these foolish first century people, how foolish are they to worship gods that they've made with their own hands out of gold and wood and stuff? Ah, but friends, we are not off the hook. There are so many even smaller, more insignificant things that captivate our attention today. Sometimes those things are very spiritual we look to, to new age ideologies to bring us life and make us feel closer to God. And we think, oh, you know, I don't, really, I don't really get that much out of the Bible every time I read it. But, you know, when I do this or when I feel this way or when I look at this, then I feel a lot better. I feel a lot closer to God. Friends, there is nothing that can bring you closer to God than the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. Don't look for signs in, in leaves or butterflies or, or coffee grounds or whatever it is. Look to the risen Christ and his word. Sometimes we look for things that seem a little bit less spiritual. Maybe you don't think, oh, my credit card will get me into heaven. But we do usually think, it'll make me happy. Ah, payday. I can be happy again. You can spend a little more freely. But friends, those things can't make you happy. They can't save you from the despair that's deep inside of us. We're no better than these first century 
people. But not even the first century, before that. They looked to stuff that they made out of gold, and we look to stuff that we buy with our gold. It's foolishness. And in contrast, so there's no military power, there's no political power, there's no spiritual power that could compare to our God, but in contrast, God's power is limitless. Verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? This is God's response to this proposition. Oh, an idol. An idol could compare to our God. Here's God's response. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? The beginnings. The foundations of the earth. It ought to call your mind to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before even these raw materials that you turned into idols existed, there was God. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You ever flown into the Reagan airport and gotten to see a chance, gotten to catch a glance of the, of the mall and the water gate and the monuments, and they look so little bitty, like a little play set laid out before you? All of creation is even smaller than that to our God, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. He just pops them up super easy. Verse 23, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. The mightiest forces in this world are nothing, specifically because God's power can uproot them in an instant. Verse 24, scarcely are they planted. These mighty princes, these mighty rulers of the earth, scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. The most powerful and significant lives in this world are as nothing to our God. They have a lifespan shorter and weaker than a dandelion. I mean, think about Queen Elizabeth II. She's been in the news a lot over the last few weeks, and we've honored her life, and and some people haven't honored her life. Some people have chosen not to. But even her life, just objectively long by our standards, she lived a long time, as nothing compared to the power of our God. And so these mighty princes, these mighty powers, how does God overcome them? Is there a mighty war that lasts a long time? No. Verse 24, he blows on them and they wither. How does God destroy his enemies? Verse 25, to whom then, God says, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? God even drawing attention to his incomparableness by calling himself the Holy One. He's proving the foolishness of the question when he calls himself the Holy One. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. God has the authority to call and the nations come. God has authority to call and every star falls on its face before him. 
God calls and people come. His purposes are never thwarted. His enemies will not stand. He will never be conquered. He will never be outdated. He will never lose because he is the everlasting God. So friends, marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God. Nothing else will last. So put your hope in Christ alone to save you. Nothing else can do it. And those of you that live and work powerful DC jobs, building institutions and even building nations for the good of other people, that is great work. But we need to discipline ourselves to remember that none of it will last besides our God. Our God will outlast any good and noble purpose that you could give yourself to. So give yourselves, friends, supremely to his cause. They say, they say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's why dictatorships always fail, right? Well, how could this be any better? We see a picture here of a God with absolute power. How could he be any different? Because he is so radically different from us. And he uses his power, not as a dictator, ruling with an iron fist, but he uses his power to defend the defenseless, and to help the weak, which is our fourth point, God's incomparable grace. God alone is powerful enough to live forever. And he uses this power to bless his people with unending life. Verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Israel is bringing a charge against God. Basically, they're saying, have you forgotten us, God? Are you going to keep your promises, God? We're still over here. What are you doing? They're bringing a charge against him. And God responds, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He could never plunge the depths of his wisdom. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. God, the creator of everything, is giving mercy and blessing and grace to weak people. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Human strength might seem impressive, but it will fail. In contrast, verse 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. They've been shown kindness to. The everlasting God shows kindness to his people. We might help someone who's able to help us. And God shows his incomparable grace by helping people that have nothing to offer him when he himself has no need. He's the everlasting God and he gives everlasting grace to his people. Not something that 
we've earned. Remember, the cedars of Lebanon wouldn't even be enough. Friends, marvel at the greatness of God and revel in the kindness of God who gives this kind of grace to his people. And his grace has been shown most supremely in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is this great everlasting God. He's the one who could pick up the nations and throw them into the ocean easier than you could put a bean on a scale. That's Christ. That's who Jesus is. He wasn't just a good teacher. He is the everlasting God. And that, that makes Philippians chapter 2 pack a little more punch, doesn't it? It says, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be exploited, a thing to be taken advantage of, a thing to be used for his own comfort, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The uncreated one stepped into creation. The uncreated one who had every right to obliterate sinful creation stepped into it. To offer grace, an incomparable grace. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And you might think, wow, that was really humble. You couldn't get any more humble than that. You couldn't get any more gracious than that. That God came down to dwell with his creation? It gets even more crazy. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Friends, our God has an incomparable grace. And he has shown that to us supremely in the person of his son. And it's this God, the everlasting God. So friends, we can have life, not because we're good enough or because we've offered the cedars of Lebanon or because we've offered our measly religious service. We can have life because Christ gave his and rose again so you can look to him in faith and find life if you want to do that today find life in christ then come and find me or one of the other pastors or anyone sitting around you before you leave today don't put it off and those of you that know him friends just rest in his kindness oh friends this is the posture by which we serve our god not to earn his grace but in thankfulness and gratitude. He is the everlasting God. He has no need, and he is kind to help us in our need. 